Well, that was exciting, huh? Yeah, you guys are tired this morning. I get it. It's fine. So what, what are you known for? I want you to think about that for just a second. And we're going to come back to that question, but I want you to think about it. What, what are you known for? How do people think about you when they think about you? What are you known for? This morning, we're going to spend a lot of time reading through Scripture. Um, If you have a Bible, you can open it to the book of Acts. Acts is in the New Testament. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, totally fine. Um, You can follow along on the screen. But today, we're going to be learning about a man named Saul, who most of us probably recognize as the Apostle Paul. Uh, And so today, we're going to talk about that shift in his identity, and we're going to talk about our own identity. So if you would, let's follow along. This is starting in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, and here's what it says. You'll have to forgive me if I have to cough and die a little bit, but I'm not feeling super fantastic today. So I have coffee right here and will hopefully revive myself. And in verse 1, it says this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he found any there who belonged to the way, which is what Christianity was known in the first century, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. Now they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan 
Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him into a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he had really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. What a great story. We have a man named Saul who has an encounter with Jesus and then changes his whole purpose. Right? So we hear that this story, God also appears to Ananias in a vision. What does he say to Ananias? Nobody heard anything I said. What, what did he say to Ananias? What did he say? He said, go, pray for this man named Saul, who you, uh, you may have known about. You may know something about Saul and Saul, or uh, uh, Ananias like, kind of freaks out. Lord, What? You want me to go to the, the persecutor of those of the faith? And you want me to lay hands on this guy? Are you nuts? And Jesus, I'm sure, was like, no, I'm not nuts. I'm Jesus. That's just what I do. So he calls Ananias to go to a man who has a reputation, right? Everybody knows who Saul is in the ancient world because Saul is the one who comes with authority. He comes on behalf of the chief priests. He's got a letter in hand that says anybody who is doing their faith wrong needs to come and see the chief priests and be brought up on trial. And then we recognize later that Saul has this incredible conversion moment. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and is struck blind. And he's guided by the hand into the city where he sits without eating anything for three days. And then Ananias lays hands on him. He's healed. And then it says he's baptized and then begins to preach fearlessly about who Jesus was. So later on, we see that, that he is preaching boldly in the synagogues. He's telling people, and it says that he proved that Jesus was the Messiah. And he wanted to join the disciples. What was the disciples' response? <laughs> no, thank you. Because they also knew what? His past. They knew his past. Now, we don't know any church people who look at somebody's past and says, no, thanks, right? We don't do that anymore. Oh, oh wait, we, oh. So here's what's good news. It's not something that recently developed. We have church people here who say, uh, your past is a little iffy. I don't know that you can actually talk about Jesus anymore because you've had sin in your past. Uh, forgetting sometimes that church people are also sinful. So we have to be very careful in this moment. Here's a perfect example that some people can be delivered a word of God and preach fearlessly and boldly in the name of Jesus. And you know what? They can have a past. How many of us in this room have a past, right? I have not been perfect my whole life. I am now, but I, I haven't. <laughs> totally joking. I'm glad you guys laughed at that. 
we see that in the early parts of the scripture that Saul is somebody who is considered a traditional Pharisee. Do you know what a Pharisee is? Does anybody really kind of, do you understand what a Pharisee is? He's a scholar of the church, right? So these are the people who basically looked at all the other folks and said, hey, now listen, you're, you're a very nice person, Julia, but you remember when you removed that dead grasshopper from the windshield of your car today? You touched it and are now unclean. You need to go and bathe and you'll be clean at nighttime and then come back and worship, right? So these are the people who took everything in the laws of Moses very strictly, and they wanted to make sure that the people of God were being holy and represented what God wanted for his people through the Old Testament. Now, they were upholding church tradition. And this crazy new radical guy named Jesus comes in and kind of changes a lot of what's going on. And so these people who now recognize that Jesus is doing something new kind of cling on to a Messiah, a God-made man, the, the one person who can bring about salvation. And they kind of cling to this message of love and hope and forgiveness and peace and looking after one another. Like that's the message of Jesus. And he's kind of challenging the old ways. We recognize that Saul had some authority, right? Scripture tells us that he went and got a letter from the chief priest to go and arrest people who were not doing faith right, right? He had authority. He was given that authority and then took advantage of that authority. He was on his way and then had a moment of uh, conversion. Uh, But I I wanna talk about this in kind of a modern term. How many of you guys remember the 90s? Good times, yes, 90s, best music, the best dress. Anybody remember Jenko jeans? Yeah. So coolest era in all of history, Nirvana, Bush, like, you know, all the great bands came out of the 90s. I'm sorry about you guys who had to suffer before that with other inferior music, but um, I I got some looks on that. Okay. (laughs) But in the 90s, do you remember that there was a move in the church? In the 90s, there were what we kind of refer to as the worship wars. Anybody remember that move? So the worship wars were, was basically about like this newfangled Christian music that people were not happy about, right? Do we recognize that change is hard? Can, can we all just agree to that? That change is sometimes hard? And a church that's been doing the same thing for quite a while sometimes struggles with, with shifting what it's doing. So in the 1990s, we had this great move from a lot of traditional hymns, and there was a gospel move before that, where uh, like Fanny Crosby wrote tons of great uh, music that people, like their lives were changed uh, through that music in the, the 60s and 70s. And then in the 90s, we had this kind of revitalization of new music coming into the church, and it caused worship leaders to debate, and their pastors and the worship leaders were in arguments all the time because I want to do something new, and no, you don't, because that changes everything about what we've done. And there's these, these huge splits in churches. Does anybody remember this time? No, I was too young. Whatever. (laughs) Revelation 21.5 says this, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. It is absolutely okay for us to believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Scripture says that. God is the same today, the same yesterday, and will be the same forever. But that doesn't necessarily mean that God likes the same things all the time. 
This was a weird shift, right? So in the 1990s, we had this weird shift from gospel and traditional hymns to like this, there were drums in the church. Oh, my Lanta. Like it was a big deal. Just like here in this move in the first century, the traditional church is seeing people who are worshiping this other guy that's not God, this Jesus fellow. And they were like, I'm not having any of that. And so they wanted to make sure that the church tradition was upheld. Guys, I believe right now we're in the middle of another revitalization of the church. I have, I have a feeling in my heart that the church is going through birth pains of something that is new and we're on the edge of seeing something that's going to drastically shift what church looks like for the next generation. I believe that. And I'm excited for it. I promise you there are people even now who are in the church that say, oh no, we're going to keep it the same way until Jesus comes back. But I don't think God wants church to stay the same. I think we have a God that is a God of things that are new and being refreshed and being, being breathed into new life. And my hope and my prayer is that God is breathing new life into his church right now. So we have this man named Saul who says, oh no you don't, you, you worship changers. I'm gonna take you to jail. And then encounters the one who's causing all the change, right? This Jesus who was died and resurrected and ascended into heaven, he has an encounter and it shifts everything about him. Like we, we all know Saul as Paul, right? Like we, we recognize that Saul becomes Paul, but do you know when that shift is? Right now. That shift from Saul to Paul, you don't hear him referred to Saul anymore after this chapter in scripture because his reputation precedes him, right? Last night, I went to my 20-year reunion because, yes, I am, in fact, that old. So yesterday at my 20-year reunion, I looked around and saw, gosh, there's a bunch of old people here. And I was like, oh, crap, they're my age. <laughs> but here I am at my 20-year reunion, and all I can think inside my heart is, how do these people remember who I was 20 years ago? Uh-huh. <laughs> How do these people think about me from when I was 18 years old? I'm thankful that God makes a difference in our lives. And I was kind of nervous about how people would, would see me. Like, you ever get in that moment where you're like, I remember you, I was not very nice to you. I remember you, you were one of those nerdy kids, or I was thinking about the other cool kids because I was not cool. And I was thinking like, man, I bet they think of me as just like a big nerd still 20 years later. I was very unsure of who I was in that moment. I didn't know what my identity looked like through the eyes of somebody else. Do you ever think about that? So I'm coming back to my question how do people know you? I do remember being 18 years old. I do remember doing stupid things as a dumb teenager, and we all did some of those things. I wasn't really a bad kid, I don't think. But God has done a lot in my life over the last 20 years that have brought me closer to him. And so I know that, that who I am today is very different than who I was in my past. 
And the great news is that God promises that for all of us. That it doesn't matter what you looked like in the past, you can be something different even right now. Because through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're given hope. And the story of Paul, who was known as Saul, shows us that this hope is real. The first time we ever did a barbecue out here at Brookside Collective, uh, it was a pretty neat experience for me. Like, because I, again, y you guys know this, uh, I'm a huge nerd when it comes to barbecue. I love doing it. I love just being around people, eating together, laughing together. I love that. And so I figured, gosh, it's Maundy Thursday, right? So Maundy Thursday or Holy Thursday is the day that we celebrate Jesus washing his disciples' feet. They ate together and they shared a meal together and Jesus showed them what it was like to be a servant. And I said, you know what? I, I think we can do that. I'm just gonna make barbecue. I'm not gonna preach to anybody. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna basically have a meal, serve people brisket. So the very first time we did it, it was a terrible day. Like it was early spring and it was rainy throughout the day. And if you remember, there was a point in the history of this place where there was no building and there was no grass. And so if you've ever been anywhere where there's a lot of dirt and a lot of rain, what do we have? Mud. Tragedy. No, it's not mud, it's tragedy, right? So I'm trying to have this barbecue for, you know, the neighbors in Brookside and it's raining off and on throughout the day and it's just puddles as far as the eye can see for the whole property length. And I knew I was going to spend all day smoking our, our barbecue and no one was going to show up. And so at seven o'clock in the midst of a little sprinkle that later turned a little bit harder and eventually was not so much lightning and thundering, but it was, it was, it was pretty hard. Uh, we ended up giving food to over 80 people who wanted to come and just have barbecue together, right? It wasn't the barbecue that I was excited about. It was the stories that I heard. I heard a story from a man named Hippie, right? He called himself Hippie. He was clearly a motorcycle rider. He had his vest on, had his long hair and his floppy mustache. And he told me the story about how he was in a gang. And one time, uh, he showed up at his house, and he found his wife murdered by the same gang that called them his friends because there was a drug deal that had gone wrong. And so his wife was dead. So he hopped on his motorcycle and drove from Bangor, Maine, all the way down to Argentina on his motorcycle because he fled for his life. During that same period of time while he was in exile, his daughter got killed as well. And so this man who had a family, who had a family and a gang, everything had changed. And as he's telling me this story, he would not tell me his real name because he was afraid that his past was gonna catch up with him. And he bawled his eyes out. And I hugged this 55-year-old biker in the middle of a rainstorm with brisket sauce on his face. Because in that moment, he recognized that he can be hippie and people can love him. He doesn't have to be stuck in the same past that he was a part of, that God can move in someone's life and change everything about their future. I don't know what 
has happened in your lives. I don't know how you feel about the church. I don't know how you have come to know Jesus Christ. But I know that for some of us, it was through fear, right? For some of us, we were told that if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. And maybe that's what sparked a relationship with Jesus for us. But I pray that's not where it ends. Maybe for some of you, you got down to where there was really nothing else that you could cling on to in your life. And in that moment, you found a God that says, I love you in the midst of your hurt. And there are some of us in this room, like, like me, I have followed Jesus my whole life, some days better than others. I don't have any sort of miraculous change story about who I was. I just recognize that God is constantly moving me towards Jesus. But whatever it is that has brought you in this room right now, I pray that from this moment on, we choose Jesus. We choose Jesus over the music we listen to. We choose Jesus over the bad relationships in our lives. We choose Jesus over the debt we incur. We choose Jesus over all the things of this world. Because Jesus can change our identity. The story of Saul going to Paul from this moment when, when we recognize that there's, I will tell you that there's a difference between the Greek and the Hebrew, right? So Saul is the Hebrew version of the same name and Paul is the Greek version of that same name. So it wasn't like he changed his name in that moment. It's just that he chose to accept the Greek form of his name. He chose to accept a different identity that would free him from what his past looked like. I don't know if you know this or not, but the name Matthew uh, is, is uh, Greek, right? And the Hebrew form of Matthew is Levi. So my son is named Levi. My hope is that he becomes a better version of that name. But each of us has an identity and a past. And so today, I want to challenge you, if you realize that your identity is not living up to the way Christ expects you to live, if you're not fully sure of, of if you want to follow Jesus or not, wherever you are on your journey of faith, there is hope for you. None of us have to be the same old version of us that we've been. And Christ is calling us to live into the life that he promises. And the good news is, as a Christian, we don't have to wait until we die to experience what Jesus is offering us in, in the everlasting beyond, right? I fully believe that we, as a body of believers, are called to bring about the kingdom of heaven here and now. So this morning, how are you known? This morning, how do people recognize your name? How do they associate your behavior with who you are as a person? Because I believe that God wants to change our identity in the best of ways. If you would, let's pray together. Gracious God, we recognize that we are not perfect people but we serve a perfect and good God. 
So Lord, wherever we have been in our past, whatever we've dealt with, whatever hurts we've been associated with, whatever pain we've inflicted on others, God, I pray that in this moment, we're able to set those things aside, God, that you would forgive us from our past and remind us that you promised a future with you. Lord Jesus, come and meet us here in this place today. That no matter how we've been in our past, no matter how people would recognize who we were, Lord Jesus, we claim you over who we are and will be. Holy Spirit, continue to move in us today to draw us closer to you, to drop the scales off of our eyes so we can see you clearly. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.